this is uh, Gary Gear. Welcome you back to the Walrus and the Carpenter. And with me, as always, I'm, 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 I was going to call you my sidekick, but that really isn't quite fair. Is <laughs> That's it, Jason? okay. I don't care. That's fine. But actually, he sees me as his sidekick. Uh, no, Jason, that's not true. Uh, Jason Allgood, who is you're recently still do, You back, still don't know how to say my last name. You know, I'm pronouncing it the way your people <laughs> pronounced it. Um, but he's recently back from Seattle. Yes. And he still is kind of a whiff of coffee mm-hmm. and very expensive bourbon and self-righteousness. Yes. And I, I changed my look to look like Kurt Cobain. Kurt Cobain. But I don't... <laughs> I was going to make a shotgun joke there, but that probably wasn't that, good. That no. would not be good. No. But I don't see the flannel shirt, and right. you did wash your hair today. I did. So. I did, yeah. Maybe Hendrix, though, because Hendrix was from Seattle, too. So, By the way, tell us about this museum you went to, Jason. Yeah, so in, in Seattle is the Museum of Pop Art, which is mainly um, all of Paul G. Allen's toys, who is the co-founder of Microsoft. No, seriously, three-quarters of it is... It says, you know, from the collection of Paul G. Allen underneath it on a um, a plaque and most things. But no, it was really uh, quite fascinating. They had a lot of memorabilia from Hendrix, so from Hendrix Family Collection. They had the guitar that uh, Hendrix played at Woodstock, played the national anthem on. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, it was in a glass case. Um, yeah, lots of, you know, pop culture things, hence the Museum of Pop Culture. And I believe um, there's a picture of you with the troll online somewhere. Uh, oh, yes, the troll, uh, the, uh, the, the, uh, Fremont, the, the Fremont yeah, the troll. Fremont troll. Yeah, 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 that's a neat uh, piece of art. Um, it was commissioned by the city and the people in that community, and it likes to eat VW bugs, which if you look close enough in the pictures, you can see it getting ready to chomp on a VW bug. Whatever it takes. That's so, right. So we, what are we going to talk about today, Jason? Well, uh, all joking aside, we're yes. going to talk about a very serious topic um, today uh, on the podcast, uh, sexual abuse, and specifically uh, sexual abuse in the church and uh, how the church ought to handle that. Um, and, um, you know, uh, we uh, come from you and I come from different backgrounds, but we've had intersections along the way and fundamentalism. And uh, there, I think, in the generation in which I grew up, this just wasn't a topic that was addressed. And um, as far as I know, churches were not um, preventative in their way of looking at this. Uh, I think even when we first came to Fellowship Bible Church, one of the comments that was made to my wife was, um, as the kids were kind of running throughout the hallway, my wife said, aren't you a little concerned about the kids kind of freely running? And this person said, well, it's the church. What's going to happen here? And so uh, I think it's important for us to address this because I, I think that that may be the attitude, um, and not, not a not a bad attitude, but maybe just the misgivings of many people. Okay, now kind of tracing a trajectory here. Um as far as sexual abuse itself, and just laying things out for definition, uh, we are, are talking specifically about um, sexual predation. Now, usually when the term is used, it's, it's used on people who are underage, under mm-hmm. age of consent, 18, right. you know, on down. Right. Uh, but I believe we would also agree this could include um, – and again, I'm not. I'm saying this just to be blunt and to the point, but it mm-hmm. can, it, it could include rape. Yes, it could include um, molestation. Yes, of people over eighteen too at the same Absolutely. time. Absolutely, and it, it it could go as far as 
uh, something we were discussing over lunch, which is uh, someone in power, say a pastor, manipulating uh, to the point of uh, sexual relationships within the church, you know, illicit sexual relationships in the church, that would be considered abuse as well. Well, I would struggle with that definition a little bit. I understand where you're coming from. Yeah. And I think of the passage in Paul where he talks about false teachers mm-hmm. praying mm-hmm. upon women at that point. Right. Um, Maybe that's outside our purview today. And, yeah. And, we, we can talk yeah. about it another yeah. time. Yeah. I, I would ask then at this point, um, this will sound kind of goofy, but what do we see as the origin or where do we see sexual abuse taking place? I mean, like, where does it come from? How does it exist in the church of yeah. all places? Yeah, sure. Well, uh, I'm not sure if this is what you're thinking, but my first thought is um, that those who are um, are pursuing that kind of um, abuse tend to gravitate where kids are. If we're talking about specifically child abuse, child sexual abuse, okay, and so um, for instance, kind of the the back end of something like this is that those who have been um, found guilty of something like that are not allowed within a certain amount of uh, feet or yards of, let's say, a daycare, mm-hmm. um, because what we've discovered over time is that people that do these kinds of things gravitate to where, where kids are. And so naturally, well, maybe not naturally, but um, many times churches are filled with children. Okay. So maybe that's not what you're going no, for. No, no, I, I, I'm looking at the entire and yeah. trajectory there. I, would I mean, agree. sin, obviously, right. is I would the say root of it. But. That there are people who are drawn to that, and then mm-hmm. as you move older... You especially with 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 teenagers, yeah. Um, you have a situation in which, and and this is something that I want to make sure that that we understand. Jason and I were discussing this earlier. Sexual abusers we often look at as coming from outside of the church and mm. coming into the church, which is true in some cases. Mm-hmm. But we often forget that the trajectory of sin has the capacity to change us into sexual abusers or yes. basically taking the, the the immorality and leveraging it upon mm-hmm. the helpless. Mm-hmm. Yes. And to recognize that a sexual abuser may be someone in the church who who is normally fine and then they fall prey to these certain sins and then they start victimizing other people regardless of the age at that point. Yeah, that's good. That's good as well. And I think it's important for us to say the reason that we're addressing this is because of, of a couple of recent events that um, have uh, stirred um, uh, conversation around this, uh, especially, of course, on the Internet where we do all of our conversations today. Um, but one of those uh, issues being the recent uh, trial of Larry Nassar and um, especially the testimony of Rachel Denhollander and um, just the – the if I could use the word the rawness of that testimony from her I think shook a lot of people uh, because she is a believer and her husband is a believer and um, they uh, very she very boldly and them together I would say they together very boldly approached this issue um, and kind of broke the story as it were 
Um, and uh, I think just from the perspective of them being believers and the way that they've addressed this, both with a rawness but also with the reality of God's grace and mercy as a reality in the situation. And if you've not listened to that testimony, I would encourage you to go out and, and listen to it. It was very, very powerful. Um, but also in the wake of that, the questions regarding um, Sovereign Grace Ministries and uh, the um, accusations that have been leveled against SGM and and all the different things that go along with that. And um, even no matter kind of where you fall in your understanding of those things or how they fell out, it, it just raises the question and, again, emphasizes the need for us to not only talk about this between you and I on a on a podcast, but also just for church leadership to be making sure that this is a, a part of the conversation uh, regarding protecting children, protecting the flock. Um, and, and then the, the other side of that, Gary, too, is, is there a place for people who have sinned in this way and have repented to to find a place in the church in the body of Christ? And how do we, how do we best minister to them as well, I think, is another point. Right. And I would, I would I think a third aspect of that is asking, how did we get to where we are today, and is it going to get any better? Right. I would, I would um, submit the idea, and this is not terribly optimistic, but we are going to see the number of potential sexual abusers ar- ar- arise. And what I mean by that is we're going to see more and more people who are willing to enter into that victimization. Mm. I mean, if, if 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 you look at a society that is becoming more and more highly sexualized, yes. If you are looking at the use of pornography escalating, yes. And you, you know, you're 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 looking at, of course, social media, um, working the way that 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 it does. Just statistics tell us we're going to have more people, even among churches, mm-hmm. that are going to step into that. And I think we as the church have been kind of caught out a little bit. Mm. Um, I'm a little bit older than you. Not by much, though. That's right. So I tell myself. <laughs> um, but some of the things that we saw that has hurt the church in this area is, number one, this incredible distrust of uh, law enforcement. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. the idea that we totally ignore yeah. Romans 13. Uh, I was in a situation back in the, when I was in youth ministry a young lady came to us and said, "Hey, I have I've been abused," mm. and um, we're like, "Wow, okay," and we need to go to the police. And uh, another member of the staff said, "No, because if you go to the police, the person will be taken away from us and taken away from the church, mm. and and she needs the church." And at which point, threats were made that we were going to go to the police regardless, and mm-hmm. we did. And yeah. And but there there was such a fear of law enforcement in the sixties, seventies, and eighties, and even in the nineties. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was taking counseling training, one of the counselors who was training us laid out the idea they they were talking about uh, counseling and sexual abuse at that point. And the person said that he had a situation in which the stepfather had been abusing his stepdaughter. I believe mm. was the situation. And rather than going to the police, the guy who was counseling said, um, "Well, if you do it again, then I'll go to the police." But we're gonna. But, but, but he was afraid that this man would be taken away from counseling, and that was the worst thing for him. Mm. So you see this strange tension 
where you don't trust the sword mm-hmm. that God has ordained in Romans 13, mm-hmm. and you hold on to this, this type of sanctification mm-hmm. that you believe is going to work no matter what, right? and you put your trust in that instead, which is a great deal of hubris. But right. I think the American church as a whole kind of embraced that thought right. one way or another. Yeah. And, and I don't mean to be crass when I say this, but um, what a great way to start a prison ministry that sounds horrible to say that, but that's where that person belongs, you know. And so I can still counsel them, right, <laughs> behind right. behind bars if I can put it, you know. And I, I hate to, be, as I said, be so crass about it, but but there's that marrying of what God has ordained in Romans 13, um, and and the pastoral role. We don't deny either one of those, and we know that that pastoral role will be restricted at that point, but. But the reality is, is what about the soul of the one who's been abused? Yes. Um, well, yes. And what about the victim? I think right. uh, Ray, uh, Mrs. Den Hollander, whose name always is always mispronounced, talked about how the church is often the worst place mm-hmm. for a person who's been mm-hmm. abused at that point. Right. And we'll get to that in I'll we'll get to that in just a moment. But going, going back to the original issue, and I think this is the American church too, and I've seen this. I mean, you and I both believe in biblical counseling. We both believe in expository preaching. Right. But there's also a thought out there, and I've heard this from people like Dever who've taught it. You know, if you do expositional preaching, guess what? Your church is guaranteed to grow. Right. If you do the right biblical counseling, you're guaranteed to change someone's life. Right. That is such a scary place to be. Right. Because you're laying down promises God never made. Right. Right. Yeah. And I, I I think that has led to some victimization that did not need to be there mm-hmm. at that point. Now to, to the other one, the idea of how do we minister to victims? Some thoughts on that. What does it mean to minister to someone who's been victimized by sexual abuse? Yeah, I think the first important thing is that we start with belief, um, not with doubt. Um, Belief in doubt about what? In regard to the abuse itself, um, that we don't begin with, um, is this person lying to me? Which I think naturally we want to go there, especially when it involves somebody else in the church, is, man, I know this person. I just don't think that they would do that. But statistically, it's it's been shown that um, many, many people who have been abused wait a long time before they ever come and say, this is what has happened to me. Um, and so the fact that they're bold enough to come and say, hey, this is this is what's going on in my life, uh, we ought to move toward belief um, rather than doubt. You, 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 you bring an important point up then. What, what is the surest sign of belief? And I, I think it requires humility from the church also. Mm-hmm. If someone comes to me and would say, hey, Gary, I've, I've been sexually abused. Right. My first step is like, okay, you and I are going down to the police station yes, right now. That's right. I mean, you yeah. know, do not yes. pass, don't knock like $200. Right. right. We're not going to try to parse it out. For yeah. one thing, the police are better qualified and mm-hmm. are better equipped to determine the veracity mm-hmm. of an accusation than mm-hmm. I am. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be arrogant enough to think that I can parse it out. Right, right. Yeah. Let, let them do it, and plus they will take the immediate steps. Yes. To make sure that person is kept safe. Right, right, indeed. And that is a great point. And and, and had I the opportunity to redo some things um, that, that happened to us in the years of ministry, we've been in ministry, I would do that same thing. There was a bit, in my mind, a need to parse things out a little bit, and I shouldn't have. I mean, the police got involved in within 
three hours or so right, of, right. of things happening. But I think there was just this question mark in my mind in in regard to some of those things. And I was young. I was you know twenty two years old the first time I had to deal with this as a brand new youth pastor. And I think having you know th- this was a young lady. My wife was with me. It wasn't any you know conversation outside of you know, female, my wife being in the room, but just, you know, trying to, to parse things, as you would say, out rather than just saying, we need to go to the cops right now. You know, it's so important. And um, that uh, leads me to a question for for you. Um, how would you address it? I have an answer for the way I would do this. And, okay. and in fact, we have to address this soon in our church again. How would you, in, let's say, um, you're, you're administratively explaining this to your church and you use the example of John Smith and say, so John, if, if this you know, young lady comes and says, John Smith has done this to me, this is how we're going to address it. But John, that means you're going to be brought into this immediately. Right. How would you explain that to your, your folks? Basically, this accusation has been made and he's going to be investigated. Now, mm-hmm. a lot of it rests on what John Smith is claiming did or didn't do. Right. I mean, if, if he says it didn't happen and all that, mm-hmm. and then and a lot of it's going to depend upon the investigation, what the right. police say. I would, I, I know they're not always allowable within, uh, uh, as evidence, but a lie detector test, I know, is, is they still sometimes use as a tool, right. not necessarily right. uh, evidentiary, but right, right, and investigative. Um, I w- I would have to sit down. I mean, one of the things, and here, here's something I've thought about: if someone had would make an accuse, uh, make an accusation of being doing sexual abuse, mm-hmm. and let's say that it was a false accusation. Oh, by right. God's grace, it's false. Okay, yeah. And if someone gives a false accusation of me doing sexual abuse, I would really struggle on whether I should remain in the ministry. Mm-hmm. Not because I can't sit there and say, well, you know, they had no right to do this, but the fact, you know what, the cause of Christ is more important. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. even if it's proven to be false afterwards, right. okay. It's interesting. I hadn't thought about yeah. that but in, in regard to continuing on in ministry, even if there's a false accusation. Right. You know? but, and again, there's a lot there. It depends to, yeah. what, to what degree and all that. But yeah. again, it has to be determined to be false by by by, by the yeah. police. Um, in the case of John Smith, I would sit down with John at the same time and say, okay, you realize this means, you know, while this accusation is going on, you can't go anywhere by yourself in the church. You know? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I, I have seen situations in which there's been accusations – of abuse between two people within the same church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it has been very difficult to parse that with the different families because right. we become so loyal to one another. And here, yeah. here, here's, here's the deal. You can sit there and say, okay, um, this person's going to be punished and this person was guilty. But oftentimes the family – on the side of the person who's done the crime, we'll say, okay, hasn't he been through enough? Right. Hasn't she been through enough? Right. Can, can, can I've had that let same situation. Yeah. And you can't really situation. fault him for it. Right. But at the same time, then you have to ask, what does the gospel look like in those right. situations? Yeah. And, and we did reference this a little bit over lunch, but you know, if there is a guilt, if there is a, hey, I did do this, yes. humility and repentance is, I'll do whatever you exactly. say. And, and, and we're not talking about extreme things, but if that means I have to have somebody go to the bathroom with me every time I go to the bathroom... I'm willing to do that for yeah. the sake of Christ, for the good news, for the protection of everybody else in this local.
local fellowship. Right, exactly. Yeah. So my my uh, question, I maybe could have phrased a little bit a little bit better, which is, how do I shepherd both the the victim and the person who's been accused if they're within my church? <laughs> Well, if if the person and you answered that a bit, but I wanted to make oh, it a little would, more clear. A lot of it depends on whether the person is found guilty. Or well, I mean, just guilty. at the very outset, you know, at in the other very words, beginning, I would, I to to me, communicating the character of God ultimately to both people is very important. Mm-hmm. You know that 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 God is holy and that He is loving mm-hmm. to someone who's really been victimized. Hey. Your God loves you. He mm-hmm. knows what you've been through. He empathizes mm-hmm. with you. Mm-hmm. He understands what it means to be a victim better than you do mm-hmm. to the person who's been, who's been accused. Let's say, and again, it depends on the situation. Right. If the person claims to be innocent, mm-hmm. then no, okay. If you truly are innocent, your God will let everyone know that one day. Right. If you truly are guilty, if the person claims to be guilty, okay, what does repentance look like? Right, right. Uh, let's let's break it down. Let's walk it through, and let's bring other people in on this. I, yeah. And here, here's something to keep in mind. People are very uncomfortable, especially in areas like that, because they feel that it's so private. I'm mm-hmm. not talking about the details of the abuse itself. Right, right. But I would feel very uncomfortable if an abuser came to me, and we went through all that, and, you know, they went – they they were accused and they were um you know convicted and they they served whatever the penalty was i would be uncomfortable being the only one dealing with that person i want mm-hmm. other people being part of the equation at the same more time more of your leadership an outside counselor it or it depends you know, on the situation law situation yeah, yeah it depends on the situation but yeah. but i myself am not smart enough to deal 100% with that and not I mean, I might be too hard on the person. I, I sure. hate abuse for many different reasons I won't go into. Right. And maybe I'll be too hard on the person. Maybe I won't be hard enough. Maybe I'll right. overcompensate one way or the other. I need other Christians yeah. to be part of that. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm thinking through that process of how do you stand with the victim and um, the one who's been accused without knowing if the person who's been accused is guilty or not. But but what length of time are we talking about? Norman? I'm talking I'm talking about just the initial right. accusation. We're, 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 again, I think yeah. if because you're only talking about maybe a month at the most. Yeah, yeah. But usually, okay, there there, there may be some exceptions. But again, I, I would keep both of them separate. I would tell the person right. who's been accused, okay, we're going to have people for the sake of your yeah, round in the yeah. church at that right. point, right? And this yeah. is the way it's going to yeah. be. Yeah, and that's what I think. You know, that's where it. There, to me, I'm I'm thinking about the process of just preemptively addressing that with the people that work with children. Let's say in our church, and say, hey, yeah. if an accusation is ever made against you, I want you to know. Just because we get the authorities involved doesn't mean we don't believe you, but we this is the course of action right. that has to be taken, and we're going to walk with both of these families through this. Right. Um, let the law do what the law does. You know there are going to be some things in place that will you know keep the victim separate from the accused and and those kinds of things. But but know that yes, the what's at stake here is um, the name of God above all else. Right. Um, and and um, yeah, and, and and as you said, each situation determines the way in which you do that. But just to let people know, you know, as you step into this role and working with kids, we're putting every protection we can in place. Where you know you're not to be alone with children, you know, all those kinds right. of things. But if an accusation is made, we have to report it, and we have to deal with it legally at that yes. point. Um, and again, I think that's Romans thirteen thing. Yes, we, exactly. 
we we've you know God God ordained the government. We're thinking, well, it may not be as Christian as we are. Right. God knew that before He commanded it. Right. Exactly. And and so that and and, and but I want to assure you, both the victim and the one who's been accused, that, that there's a way that we can walk through this together. But but especially I think for the one who's been accused, especially if they're like, I have not done anything. You're going to feel frustrated with this process, right? Because in your mind, if if you truly haven't done anything, you're going to feel like it's burdensome and et cetera, et cetera. And I mean, there's a whole lot of things that fall out at that point in regard to just the way that we view the church, the way that we view suffering, right. the way that we view all these kinds of matters. We're just we, life is too easy for us, quite frankly. Right. Um, so when something hard comes along, that 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 my character is now in question. It, it feels a lot harder because I haven't dealt with a whole lot of garbage in my life, right. if that makes sense. No, and so, yeah, I just have kind of been processing that, though, as even knowing that this was going to come up and just talking through some of our kids' ministry stuff now, at the church. As so. far as ministry to the victim themselves, yeah. Um, what type of priority would would I mean? Of course, we'd want to minister to the victim. Period. But what are certain things that you would want to make sure the victim would? I hate to use the term victim, yeah, because that's not ultimately what the person needs to see themselves as. But 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 how? What are different ways in which you can minister to that individual? Yeah, I, I think beyond, like I said, believing them, you know, um, to begin with, and and by believing, it doesn't mean there's never a. Uh, maybe a question mark on the back end of that, but believing in the sense of we're not going to brush it aside. Okay. Well, and let's say the person has been confirmed to be a victim. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I, I think um, I, I think we assure them from the scriptures that God is sovereign, and of course that sounds very pat in me saying that, um, but but um, assuring them that um, uh, horrible and this sounds so it sounds so pat. But I don't mean it to be because each situation would demand that we would um, do this gently and um, that we would do it as precisely as we can. Um, that horrible things have happened in the past and God has used it for good. And again, that sounds like what it sounds like, very pat. But, you know, working through that with them, you know, with their parents, if it's a child or teenager, Especially, um, and again, a failure that that I have made on my part very early on in my ministry was to to do that well, um, and to provide either counseling from those within the church that could do a good job, or even if necessary, external counseling or point, pointing them to somebody that's helpful in that regard. I, I think the idea also of personhood or ontology, yeah. I think, is very important to at the same Image time. Of God. Because who they are has 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 been redefined mm. in a sense by the abuse itself, mm-hmm. and of course this is to various degrees yeah. depending on the abuse and the person and right. so on and so forth. Right. But I, I think there's always an area of saying, okay, who am I now that this is has happened to me? Mm. Uh, That's great. What does it mean for me to be a child of God in this situation? Mm. Uh, how, do, how, how do I look at love? How do I look at sexuality? Yeah. Um, how? What's what? What's new or different about me that wasn't there previously, or needs mm-hmm. to be straightened out? Mm-hmm. Um, abuse doesn't so much 
add or take away as it warps. I know some people may disagree with me on that, but mm. it, it takes what's already there and it warps it, whether yeah. it's the trust you put with someone or warping sexuality itself and all that. I think when, when we minister to the abused, there there needs to be a recognition that the church, and I'm going to sound so Oprah here, and you're willing to kick me in the butt, okay, <laughs> if it sounds so Oprah, but the idea to 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 validate or to confirm the fact that they are indeed a person redeemed in Christ and that their identity in Christ is more important than anything else. Mm-hmm. Even though someone else said, okay, your and and your identity for me is as a sexual plaything. Right. It's God's identity that trumps that identity. And right. again, that's just an example of a different No, I think that that's that I point. think that that's exactly right and and uh yeah, affirming their personhood, affirming their imago dei um uh, affirming if they are one who professes to be a believer, their identity in Christ, and um, you're not what this person uh, made you out to be right. is, is really, really uh, important and very, uh, very good. Um, I had a thought, and I don't remember where I was going to go. Well, this is a Please. question we talked about over lunch. The infrastructure of the church itself, of the American church, mm-hmm. Do you see it contributing to the possibility of abuse? Do you see it being able to be changed to keep abuse from happening? What are your thoughts on it? I've got my own, but I'm throwing your thoughts out there. Yeah, I um, I think that we have not necessarily structured the church in such a way that it, it is preventative um I think there is hopefully a trend toward prevention and awareness um but I think that the consumer mentality of the church that I go to a church because it's what's there for me um probably doesn't lend itself toward um a community mindset enough that when I don't know if this is where you're going to go with it, but this is what comes to mind that when something like this were to happen, it's just easy for people to say, Whoa, I'm just going to walk away from that. Right. Be- not, not necessarily the victim, but the people around it, surrounding it saying, I don't want to have to be here while this church is going through this. So there's not a family quote unquote family atmosphere where they might say, no, I need to surround this, this person, this family with love and, and uh, seek to to uh, honor Christ through going through some hard times with some people. Um, so, uh, yeah, those are the things that come to mind. I'm sure you have something else in mind. Well, so. I, actually, when you say community, I think that is important. But I would take it one step back, and I'm thinking about the formation of predators. Yeah. Um, you mentioned the whole consumer aspect of it, and mm-hmm. I think also – if you have a church in which the people cannot be personally shepherded because of the size of the infrastructure, mm. you're going to have a lot of people who are going to be struggling with personal sins and yes. not have anyone speaking truth into their life. Yeah, And there's a great deal of shame mm-hmm. in speaking of the fantasies of one's heart or whatever else. Right. And when when, when you look at that, you cannot help but have abusers pop up because you do not have anything in place to keep them from being abusers. Sure. Yeah, and you may have a church of like 2,000 and think, well, yeah, we've got five chapter pastors and a whole mess of small groups. We're great. Mm -hmm. You're 
that's not enough. I mean, right, you're, right. You're, you're not having people being shepherded. Right. And someone they can go to and say, okay, you know, I'm struggling with porn or I'm struggling with my neighbor's wife or my mm-hmm. or, or my the husband of my best friend. Right. And those are the things I'm dealing with. Can you help me pray through this? Right, right. It's just, you know, sneeches and stars to do the Dr. Seuss thing. Yeah, yeah. And that's a great, it's a great point. Um, yeah. Um, what, let me ask you this, Gary. What have you guys done at uh, Calvary to to protect? What are, what are well, some I things mean, that you guys have done? It's, it's just the basics. Um, mm-hmm. Background checks. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're not allowed to work unless you have a background check, and those have to be redone every so often. Mm-hmm. Um you have to have two or more different workers in any children's ministry. Right. Um, you know, just, just the basics. I mean, I will say that it, it's the, the pastor, the elders set the tone. Mm-hmm. I don't do any counseling uh, unless someone else. And when, when I say in the building, they have to be on the same floor as I'm on. Right. And they have to be just a few rooms away and all the doors have to be opened. Right. Right. Sure. I mean, those, those, that's yeah. just common sense type yeah. stuff. Yeah. Sometimes we'll have a young lady come to the church to do something, and I'll pack up my stuff and walk out. You know, right. It's like, hey, I'll go work in the park or right. somewhere else. Right, right, yeah, sure. I just... Yeah, no, that's right. That's good. And and, and I, I think that sets the pattern for everyone else, saying, okay, we understand this is the way we have to do it. And also, I think there is... People just keep an eye on one another. I mean, if we mm-hmm. see kids wander downstairs into the basement, right. you'll, you'll have adults poking their heads down every few minutes saying, okay, what's going on? Is there just one person here? Mm-hmm. If there's just one person there, if there's just like a you know a teenage girl doing something, it's like, okay, why don't you have some of your friends come down here? Right. You know, right. being alone is not a good thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's right. So um, let's, let's flip the tables a little bit and say we have someone who is a convicted uh, sexual abuser show up at our church and say, I'd like to be a part of your local assembly. Um, again, knowing that there are all these caveats of particularities of what has happened and those kind of things, what what have you done or what would you do in that situation? Well, we've done something before, and I won't go into detail, but I handled it poorly. Okay. I handled it very poorly. Um, not, not, not in the sense, and this is going to sound awful, not in the sense of that we welcome the person in, but that we basically shut the person out. Okay. And I did not handle that well. I was not willing to take the effort mm. to communicate and to work with the people and show authority. And at the same time, with that being said, we needed to have a very rigorous protection plan in place mm-hmm. to make sure, you know, that person comes in and they're escorted in. Right. They can sit next to another guy. They can worship together if they want to go to the bathroom. They go with someone and then they need to leave afterwards. And they have to stay in just one main room right. together. Right. And uh, I'm kind of ashamed of myself. I did not handle that well. I didn't. I wasn't sure how that'd be handled. I did not handle well the con- in the congregation. So I just basically pushed back against it the wrong way. Well, thanks for your transparency about that. That being said, what would you do now? I if would, I could be well, so bold to ask. I, I basically do that. I would sit down with the leadership of the church and, okay, this man wants to come in. Mm-hmm. And what protocol do we need to have in place knowing his situation and what he's done? Right. Where got the protocol, sit down with the person saying, okay, with these protocols in place, would you be willing to participate? And if mm-hmm. he said no, I would say, I'm well, sorry, we can't help you. If he would, then we would work with him and have counseling at the same time. Right. Um, at the same time, probably 
I doubt if there'd be a time where we'd really relax those protocols either. It wouldn't be a right. case of like, okay, if after if, six months, you know, after you're, six months, yeah, you're fine. You're no, fine. Yeah. No, there needs to always be something in place. Yeah, and that's great. Um, maybe even with that in mind, one of the things I was thinking as you said that was even saying to the person, okay, we're we're willing to consider this, but you need to give us about three weeks a month to work through this, right? With our leadership, think about things, right. etc. And the question following that is, do we tell the church? Yes. Yes. Okay. We do tell the church. Okay. We let them know, and mm-hmm. uh, we get, we we make them fully aware. And this becomes a shepherding opportunity. Yes. Of, we're all sinners. This sin is a very grievous sin. It, it, it carries with it baggage that will never be, um, you know, dropped essentially. But how do we love a person like this? How do we come alongside a person like this? Not just the leadership, but the, the church people as well. And so um, I was surprised. We had a similar situation in St. Louis, and um, <clears throat> the it was um, a situation where the parents were still involved in the person's life who was who was accused and, and found guilty of some things. And they asked us to call other ministries around the United States and say, how would you guys handle this? And so I called um, Grace Community Church in California. I called Moody Church in Chicago, and I called Focus on the Family. And uh, surprisingly, Focus on the Family said, don't have anything to do with them whatsoever. <laughs> really? It, it was, I was shocked by that. Wow. Now, maybe their stance would be different. This isn't saying that this has been many years ago. Right. Uh, Focus on the Family has changed since then. But um, they, they were almost like, you, you shouldn't even let them in your church. Um, and I was just I was shocked by that, honestly. And Moody Church and Grace Community did what I thought, which is put put structures in place and right. have these things in place for a certain amount of time. Surprisingly, um, the response we got back from the family was what you said earlier: "Hasn't this person been through enough already?" Right. Um, well, and. Um, I, I'm not the one to determine that. <laughs> that, and that's not the question at hand. The question isn't about them. Ultimately, it's about others, right? And that is part of a major part of our Christian walk, isn't it? Love your neighbor as yourself. Right. So, as a neighbor, quote unquote, who has done these horrible things, I need to recognize the parameters that that puts around my life and what it means for me to love my brother or sister in Christ in, in, light, of, in yeah. light of that when, it, when it's just the gathering. And I would say we have to think about this, Gary, way outside of the box of just the gathering because church isn't just Sunday morning. If this person it wants, is community itself. Yeah. They want to go into a small group. Exactly. So how do you do deal with the yeah. life of the church in regard to this now? And, and, and I truly believe that our quote-unquote, doors ought to be welcoming to all people. Anybody who professes Christ ought to be able to be a part of our local assembly, um, you know, with all the caveats that come with membership and all those kinds of things. But in place of that, we find, you know, I I always use the old adage, um, you don't make the thief the treasurer kind of a thing, you know. So those are the the parameters that you put in place. Well, you, yeah, and I I understand what you're saying. And part of it, I think of... Galatians 6 passage, bear each other's burdens. Yes. And, and that's in the context of a person's sin nature. Right, yes. Now, when a person comes in with a sin problem, you, your job is not to you know schedule it so it's convenient for you. It's dealing with the yes. realities yep. of a sin problem. Whether, right. I mean, I'm, you know, AA is, is not the greatest 
it, it isn't the final answer to alcoholism. Right. But they do community better than we do when it comes to sin. Yes. You know, when, yeah. when you're sitting, you call someone up, you call your sponsor, remember what time of day, and right. they drag you to a meeting, and you do right. whatever you got to do. Yeah, and that's a great, I mean, again, I think we come back to this issue of uh, there are greater consequences for different kinds of sins, but yes. if I only see my sin in light of, that guy did that, right? you know, and not see the gravity of it, and also the, the flip side of that saying, not only am is this? Am I required to help carry this guy's burden, quote unquote, because he's a believer and we're going to help him through this? Um, it's going to be messy when I carry yes. somebody else's Very help true. them help them bear their burden. So Very true. Yeah. Any final thoughts, Gary? As we start to wrap up here today? Not really. I, I I hate to say this, but this is a problem that's always going to be with the church. Mm-hmm. And I think it requires that each of us keep examining ourselves. That yes. We, we keep looking at our own hearts and lives to make sure. You know, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, there's boundaries that we're not crossing. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in the area for guys especially, and I'm not trying to be sexist, but guys are, are more prevalent victimizers than yes. than women Well, statistical, are. right? Yeah. yeah. Guys need to be willing to be honest about what's going on in their heart and mind and make themselves um, uh, Vulnerable. I hate, and I'm not. And that sounds so oprified, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, they need to say, "Hey, I'm struggling with this, or this is what's going on. I'm afraid of what I'm going to, to to do at this point." Right. And I think that we cannot be in shock when someone comes and sits down to us and says, "You know, right. I'm doing this or that." I, I what the old it wasn't Babylon B. It was a Lark News. I, I don't know if you remember. It, it, it was it was pre Babylon B. Christian parody, and someone it was like a man. Man confesses looking at swimsuit issue of Sports Illustrated next 30 minutes in comfortable silence. Yeah, yeah. You know, right, I right. Mean, yeah, yeah. We don't know what to do with a right. person who says, I'm struggling with these things. Yes, yeah. And we Because it's out of our comfort zone. And we have to be willing to address it. Yes. We can't just close the door and say, we're not going to talk about that. No, or, here. or here's three verses and call me in the morning. Right, right. So. Yeah. And, and Gary, even as we're wrapping things up here, so many things pop into my mind. I'm sure others, when they listen to this episode, will have some additional thoughts or questions. Right. It may be worth it for us to follow up with a second yeah. episode down the road yeah, a little bit. There, and there's so much we haven't... I mean, yeah. I have, I've ministered to people with sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. Jason has... Mm-hmm. Um, it is it is such a wide open mm-hmm. messy situation, but it's it it is an inevitable part of mm-hmm. the identity of the church that we're going to have people who are hurt and people who hurt one another. Yeah, that's right. And we've got to remember that that's part of our fabric of what we are. Yeah, that's right. It's not a country club. Yeah. So if you do have questions or comments, follow it up to this. Um, not saying that our next episode or even our next three episodes will address it, but eventually we will come back to this because, as I said, many things are popping into my mind that uh, would, would would be good to discuss, um, even in regard to how to counsel folks or, or things that Gary and I have counseled people in regard to uh, these matters. But uh, leave a comment uh, at our Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash Radio. Uh, you can always go to our blog, wallcarpradio.wordpress.com, and the episodes are listed there, and you can make comments there as well. And we got a Twitter feed, too. Yes, that's right, at Wallcarp Radio. Uh, for Twitter, you could always respond there as well. And uh, we will come back to this issue um, in the near future. So thanks for tuning in today. We'll catch you later. Thank you. Thank you.